You are listening to Up To Me Radio, the best in inspirational talk radio. It's up to me. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Coffee with Kim. I invite you to journey with me to a new day. I believe God has led you to this moment and this place because He is about to bring purpose and potential to your story. So join thousands of women and men from around the globe who have discovered how powerful their stories become once Christ touches them with His purpose. Don't you long to make this same discovery? Then grab your coffee, scoot in, and join me as we let God's Word reveal how every part of your past has been preparing you for this very moment. Have you ever heard someone say they came out of the womb hardwired to drive like a homicidal maniac? Well, if you haven't before, you can say that you have now because those are the words straight from the mouth of our speaker today, our guest today. Oh, boyfriends, hang on because I have a feeling that for the next hour, we're all about to take an incredible ride filled with excitement and lots of inspiration. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Coffee with Kim, conversations of friends of faith to encourage and equip. I'm Kim Crable, delighted to have you joining us today. Well, today's guest, it appears, has done done it all. Uh, A rocket scientist by education, he left the space program after 28 years to pursue God's calling. But who would have ever guessed that would be race car driving? Well, sort of. There's a lot more to that story. He has degrees in physics and theology. He's a five-time champion race car driver and, oh, by the way, an ordained minister. He founded Motor Gospel Ministries in 2001. And I could really go on and on and on, but my goodness, let's just bring the man on and let him explain it to himself. Let's welcome to our show Aaron Schwartzbart. Mr. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Wonderful to be here. Oh, my goodness. Okay, before we get into all that, let's talk about where are you right now? Because I'm right outside of Atlanta. A lot of people think that we're side by side. Where where are you today? Where did you wake up this uh, morning? Uh, Silmar, California, in the, the northeast corner of the San Fernando Valley, uh, suburb of Los Angeles, uh, 20 minutes from Hollywood in downtown L.A. Oh, my gosh. I, that's one of my favorite areas in the whole world. Have it's you lived there exciting. long? Yeah. Uh, yeah, since uh, 1977. Uh, south side of Chicago was 0 to 6, and then Pittsburgh from 6 to 15, and uh, been in Cali ever since uh, 15, since uh, 1977. Mm-mm. Well, tell us, let's just go ahead. You know, there's so much to talk about. I know so many guests, so many of my friends are joining us today because you have had an incredible life, and you're a, you're a young man, so to have done all this is quite incredible. But let's just start Let's just start about you coming out of the womb like that. Let's just tell yeah. us, where were you born? Where were you born? Let's start with, with your life as a little boy. Sure. So uh, born in Evergreen Park, uh, south side of Chicago. Um, uh, very interestingly, uh, I, I haven't contemplated that question before. I've been in lots of interviews, uh, uh, but nobody's ever quite asked, where were you born? Um, 
there's a little bit of a story. I don't remember it very well because I was uh, just born, uh, but a uh, story that we heard over the years from my, my late mom, uh, both my parents are gone now, um, where my brother and sister were born at, um, I think it was a, uh, a Catholic hospital. At that time, uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of churches and religious orders and such uh, did a lot of charitable work in the community, and a lot of hospitals have religious affiliations uh, more than they do today. And um, my big, I'm the baby. My big brother and sister were born, I think, at a Catholic hospital, but then they ultimately talked about uh, a, a minor policy in the fine print about uh, what would happen if they had to sacrifice either the baby or the mom, if they had to make a tough choice or something like that. And the Catholic policy was one way. Um, uh, so uh, I didn't end up being born in that hospital after they heard about that policy. They went to another hospital, uh, which was a Christian hospital, you know, evangelical Christian hospital. Um, I'm a Jew by blood. My parents were neither Catholic nor Christian. Um, but they, and I can't even remember the details, like whether they would save the baby and let the mom die or save the mom and let the baby die. But for whatever reason, something in the fine print, uh, uh, about the hospital with which they had previously been happy where my uh, brother and sister were born uh, caused them to move to this uh, 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 flagrantly uh, Christian-backed hospital, uh, even though they were Jews. And uh, we've, we've speculated, my wife and I have speculated uh, for, uh, well, we've been together uh, going on 30 years. Um, uh, we've we've uh, speculated that there were uh, nurses uh, as I lay there in the, uh, you know, having first been born, uh, the, that I was prayed over at this Christian hospital, uh, unbeknownst to any of us, and that it didn't take effect until I was 30. I got saved about 30. I'm, I just turned 60. So half half of my life I was I was reckless for Satan, and I've been reckless for Jesus ever since. But it's it's funny you should ask, where was I born? I was born in a Christian hospital where we speculate uh, nurses were praying, praying over this little Jewish baby uh, because my parents didn't like the the policy of the Catholic hospital on uh, what would happen if, God forbid, they had to choose between saving the mom or saving the baby. Aaron, and I've never contemplated story. that in an interview because nobody's ever asked me, where were you born? That's funny. Wow. You know, one of the things I always ask is, God, give me questions, you know, take me into somewhere where, where it is new. And so um, thank you for, for saying that because that's one of the things that I want to do. I want to – before someone can truly, or I feel like before someone can truly appreciate what you do and what you've written, what you're you know, preaching, I feel like they need to know the person. You know, what are you about? I mean, and that's the way right. I am. And so that, that's my style. I love to be able to share with my listeners who the person is, not just what they do. And wow, what a, what a story that is. What a, what a testimony to, and I think about the nurses and the doctors who are listening. My son actually is a physician. I think about all these people, and I think about how important what you've just spoken into them, because as they are praying, that you know what you just the hope um, and the ministry that you've spoken into their lives already, Aaron, is just uh, incredible. So you know we pray that this interview would change lives. Will you just? You really spoke hope in, in, into a lot of people. So I just want to thank you right right there from the beginning. That that was really powerful. So um, 
Yeah. Okay. So, so here you are. You were born. Now, how did you come up with the with the saying that? Uh, and I want to talk about those first thirty years. I want to the first half of this interview. Let's talk about those thirty years that you said you were just reckless for Satan. How how mm. did that begin? Talk talk about how that began to manifest itself as a little boy, or or when you saw that happening. Take take us back to that the beginning. Sure. Um, uh, I was not abused. You know, a lot of people have a story with, with all due respect to Jim Dobson. I, I love, I love the Dobsons to bits. I don't know them personally, but obviously I've, I've listened to them like most of us have on the radio for, you know, many years. Sure. And um, uh-huh. with all due respect to Jim Dobson, where he always seems to be unpacking a story of uh, abuse. Uh, Ted Bundy was this way because of something that he experienced as a kid. He was exposed to pornography or he was, he was uh, sexually abused or something. Um, uh, mine is none of that. I came from a mm-hmm. uh, a nice upper middle class uh, uh, family with with uh, emphasis on music and literature and education and stuff like that. Uh, nobody taught me to be wild. Um, and I think from as far back as I can remember, maybe five, three, four, five years old, um, I I had a like a little beast in a cage that uh, occasionally in my heart uh, they would forget to lock the cage or something and the beast would get out <laughs> and uh, it was mm. it was sort of like a uh, you know the same the same wonderful golden retriever that licks your face could could bite the head off of a small animal or something like that um, it's mm. it's the same it's the same dog but it's 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 in a way it's two different dogs depending on the situation that it's in and uh, right. Uh, I, I had a, uh, a very violent streak. Uh, I, uh, I didn't know the facts of life until I was, uh, I guess, maybe eight or nine years old. I don't remember. Uh, but by four or five years old, uh, sex and violence were in the same place in my heart and in my head and in my loins, um, those, those kinds of feelings. And uh, nobody taught me to be that way. And I wasn't exposed to pornography. There isn't any, any neat, convenient uh, psychological explanation for the kind of madness that was in my head uh, at least part of the time. And I'm, I'm convinced I came out of the one that way, although I don't remember further back than maybe three or four years old. But I do remember as mm-hmm. far back as three or four years old being that way. And there, there, there was no – you take ten babies, it's, it's, it's consistent with the Bible, it's consistent with my experience, it's consistent with the experience of anybody who's dealt honestly with, uh, you know, our, our, our fallen nature – um, even an atheist behavioral psychologist uh, that, that doesn't believe the Bible, if, if he or she took 10 babies straight from the womb and gave the 10 babies nine toys and uh, monitored, you know, put some kind of electrode somewhere in the brain or something, speaking of your son, the neurosurgeon, um, monitored uh, the parts of the brain that show things like greed and selfishness and materialism and unrighteous anger and lust and envy um, and violent thoughts. Um, I think you'd see all kinds of darkness in those babies if you gave 10 babies nine toys and monitored that stuff. Uh, That darkness Mm -hmm. was certainly very evident in me from from day one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Let let me um, ask you this. In the process of you... Uh, realizing these thoughts, and you were having these thoughts, obviously you couldn't understand what was going on. Did anyone else know that you were having these tendencies, the struggle? Sort of. Sort of. um, I think when I was five years old, uh, I tied the little girl from a couple doors away. She was three, I think, and I was five. I tied her to a tree, and I, I, I whipped her with a cowboy hat or something like that. 
and um, uh, she, <laughs> she, she. After I let her go, uh, she and I uh, uh, saw her mom and my mom, and she was all smiles. She was like glowing and stuff. And uh, she said we had the best time. We had so much fun, and we were, in a way, totally innocent at the time. Uh, we didn't know enough to hide anything or whatever. And the mom said, "Oh, what did you do, honey, or whatever?" And she said, "Aaron was whipping me with a cowboy hat." And uh, and she was all she was smiling, kind of shy, giggling. Uh, we were giddy over it, and uh, mm. and the moms sort of looked at each other and went, "Oh, for goodness' sake!" Uh, <laughs> and they they yeah. they sort of laughed it off and weren't sure what to make of it. Um, but yes, we right. did. We talked about it when uh, uh, we didn't even know enough to really try and hide it. I don't think. Mm-hmm. And nobody yeah, taught me obviously. to do that. And I'm and nobody yeah. taught her to enjoy it. We 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 right. were, we were both giddy. Yeah. Right. Was that demonic? Yeah, I mean, was that was that flesh? I don't know. Was it some of all of the above? I, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my background is in Christian counseling, and so you know, studying some of those behaviors and things. And we do know that we are born with this. With there is this evil tendency. I mean, we're carnal nature, fleshly. And so it's interesting to me to hear that. So, so you're five years old at that point. So. Um, so I can't even imagine how that must have made you feel of like the confusion of, I mean, did you feel in your heart that that was wrong or did you, how did no. you feel? Oh, yeah. oh absolutely yeah. giddy. No, I was, I was absolutely elated. It was cooler than any, any toy that I had ever played with. It was cooler than any song that I had ever heard. It was cooler than any movie that I had ever seen. Um, I felt, uh, I felt a, a level of joy that was, was beyond anything that I had ever experienced. Well, then how was, did that matter? For the first three, when I say reckless, for, sorry, go ahead, ma'am. Yes. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Please, please oh, finish. I, yeah, I was going to say, when I, when I say for the, for the first 30 years I was reckless for Satan, I was, uh, I didn't feel any, any uh, guilt over it or any, any, uh, there, there are scriptures that say everybody has a conscience. We are without excuse. Uh, but right. however we understand those scriptures, if we're if we're having a mature, honest understanding of it, uh, we have to recognize there are people that are like I was that had had uh, no guilt over it whatsoever. I wasn't. Uh, I was. I, I reveled in it. Wow. Okay. So you're five then. There's a lot yeah. a lot of space. What, at your teenage years. I mean, how did that? Yeah began to manifest itself because you said your words were that you should have been locked up many times, that there was, I'm trying to, yeah, just. Yeah, uh, dead or in prison. Well, sure, sure. So, yeah. um, well, uh, uh, a broad range of behaviors. Uh, I was I was funny because I was a real brilliant kid. I was good at math and science, and I, I was sort of groomed for math and science uh, from a very young age. Um, but I didn't love math and science. I wanted to be a race car driver or a rock star. Um, I was very nerdy in a lot of ways. Um, uh, even though I was kind of loud and out like a rock star, I was, a uh, uh, again, almost like, uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say multiple personality disorder. You have, uh, different tendencies depending on the context in which you are. Uh, but sometimes I was very nerdy and shy. I never went to my prom. I felt very rejected. Um, I, I didn't date uh, through the teenage years or anything like that uh, till maybe 18 or 19 uh, when I got in my first rock band and then I was uh, it things sort of fell into place for me um, socially uh, so a lot of years of uh, 
wanting to be accepted and wanting to date and wanting to have a girlfriend and all that stuff, uh, but being, being, uh, you know, more, uh, rejected and, uh, uh, not thought to be cool, uh, being the nerd with, uh, the slide rule and stuff like that. Um, so that, that now you're getting into a little, or we're getting into a little bit of, uh, where psychology and experience do affect things. I, I think both the Bible and common experience suggest that uh, we're a product of both genetics and uh, experience. And uh, yes. so those those years of wanting to be one of the cool kids and have a girlfriend and go to the prom and all this stuff, uh, but instead being more like a nerd that was bullied by, uh, bullied by the jocks and the popular kids and stuff like that, uh, that experience mm. certainly turned up the heat with regard to my... Uh, uh, you know, derange, relative derangement. And what, how did that culminating in yourself? my daily commute. Sorry, okay. go, so culminating in my daily commute as a gainfully employed taxpaying rocket scientist, you know, meaningful contributor to society, um, being 90 miles an hour uh, on surface streets in rush hour traffic, 90 miles an hour and 35 mile an hour rush hour traffic, uh, five days a week, mm. every morning, every night. That wasn't street racing. That was just commuting. And uh, uh, weaving in and out of the uh, 35 mile an hour uh, surface street rush hour, uh, turning left at intersections at 60 miles an hour and being right back up to 90 within three seconds or something like that. Was that anger? Uh, yes and no. It's it's it, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting because there were there were like two uh, two modes in my in my head and in my hands and my feet when that kind of thing was going on. And for one of them, uh, the theme song was The Bash by the Dixie Dregs. I don't know if you know the Dregs or not, but um, uh, Dregs did this amazing, amazing uh, creative thing in music, pretty unprecedented, um, sort of combining hillbilly music and jazz fusion and acid rock all at the same time in a time period when the world was kind of ready, or at least a certain obscure segment of the population were kind of ready for uh, for such an unusual uh, mixture. Um, and they had a song called The uh, uh, called the Bash, which was kind of their interpretation of uh, an older bluegrass song, uh, uh, something like the Wabash Express or something, I can't remember. But the Bash was mm-hmm. an incredibly joyous, uplifting, cheerful, you know, it sounded like Flat and Scruggs. It sounded like real... Uh, real cheerful hillbilly music, uh, uh, like you would expect from bluegrass and banjos and such, but they were doing it with mm-hmm. electric guitar and with, uh, you know, with more of a rock and roll, uh, instrumentation and sped up, uh, faster than the bluegrass, the original bluegrass song would have been that they were paying homage to incredibly joyous, happy song, uh, not angry sounding, very happy. And that was the theme for uh, a whole bunch of my madness. Uh, I felt incredible joy, um, uh, doing 90 miles an hour in uh, 35 mile an hour rush hour traffic endangering people um, and, and uh, not anger, uh, joy. Um, but wow. very easily that could turn into road rage depending on who I was interacting with and whether they were flipping me off or, uh, you know, kind of, mm-hmm. I, they're, they, the, the, the countless incidents of road rage in, in both directions with me being predator and me being prey um, were, were many too many to count. And, uh, uh, there, there would, you know, instantly that would turn to rage, and, and uh, there was a whole bunch of anger there, and maybe even in the joy there was some kind of the joy was motivated by an anger or something, but I, um, I don't know that. All I can tell you is to the extent that I knew myself, um, 
a whole bunch of that 90 mile an hour Magnus uh, was was a very joyous thing for me with uh, with the Dixie Dregs as the as the cheerful background music, not with with hard rock, heavy metal, you know, uh, some some loud, angry sounding metal music or something. And and that's yeah, not figurative. I mean, I mean that literally. I would have the music, you know, blaring out of the car as I was doing that. Yeah, that, that that within itself too is just so opposite of what you would think. Well, obviously you you survived it. Obviously you weren't put in prison, and somehow you were able to settle down enough, or maybe it was just your brilliance. But you did go on to in, into college, and you you built yourself a, a quite a career. Let's talk about that. How did how did how were you able to mainstay what was going on on the inside of you to be able to uh, funnel your mind? into education because what you became your degrees I mean those are those are not easy degrees to have become a rocket scientist is, is I mean that that that's powerful stuff was that easy for you was that another way to uh, as another outlet to everything that was going on inside you no no the 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 to, to any parents that are listening and trying to decide where the balance is with your kids uh in terms of being a being a parent versus being a friend, um, I hated college. I didn't want to be in college. Uh, I didn't love physics. Uh, physics is the the hardest curriculum there is on on any campus, yeah. pretty much. It's it's, it's yeah. you know the most. It requires the most obscure thought about the most abstract concepts and stuff like that. It's just uh, mm-hmm. you you couldn't pick a harder major. Uh, to be in uh, for somebody that didn't want to be in college in the first place. And uh, right. my parents and I went for, through three or four years of really, really rough times, uh, and I was living at home at the time. I I, uh, I went to uh, UCLA and commuted from Chatsworth, you know, from the San Fernando Valley uh, to UCLA. So I, uh, unlike a lot of kids that at that age then became socialized because they moved to a dorm somewhere, um, I was still living at home with my folks. And uh, – uh, we we very much butted heads. I wanted to drop out of school and and go on the road with a rock band, and uh, they they obviously felt like that was not a good idea. That I should get a degree mm-hmm. that would lead to gainful employment one day, and uh, mm-hmm. I I went and hated school, um, and uh, they 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 did everything they could, you know, imperfectly to try and guide the puck toward the goal, even though the the the, the puck was trying to. Uh, bounce everywhere except the goal um and they tolerated uh you know uh just utter mockery as they invested everything in me um and i made a joke of it all you know being out in sex and drugs and rock and roll and and road rage and drunk driving and and all kinds of stuff um doing everything except uh, actually applying myself to my studies and then uh uh two things happened um uh, neither of which I would call a miracle, but they were turning points. Uh, one, I saw the right stuff. Um, uh, I don't know if you're familiar. Are you familiar with the right stuff? No. Okay. So uh, uh, the right stuff was a Sam Shepard movie um, uh, circa approximately 1983. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Sam, Se- Sam Shepard, uh, Scott Glenn, Dennis Quaid, um, kind of an all-star cast uh, about the uh-huh. space program. And, uh, I, I thought it was going to be like a boring documentary. Somebody had two free tickets to it, and we went, and it was absolutely this this breathtaking. Uh, it 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 impacted my life 
toward the space program probably as much as American Graffiti had impacted my life when I was an 11-year-old boy uh, toward uh, being an outlaw with the steering wheel and, uh, you know, running from the cops and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so I saw the right stuff, and all of a sudden I was enamored with uh, with the space program and with, uh, with the Air Force and with uh, fighter jets and stuff like that. Um, three years into my... Uh, my making a mockery of the education and this movie uh, made me really excited about uh, potentially doing something in the space program, uh, possibly interested in being a physicist after all, uh, even though for the first three years I wanted to be out of there in the worst way. I had no interest in a career in physics and I had no interest in my studies. And then the other kind of turning point uh, not long thereafter was I got a summer job uh, as a junior engineer in aerospace and found that the real world was nothing like uh, the classroom and uh, found that I excelled in the real world. All the things that made me a terrible student, uh, uh, bored student, uh, didn't want to have my nose in the books. I wanted to uh, party and be sociable and all that stuff. Um, I found that in the work world, uh, th those kinds of tendencies were very valuable. Um, my communication skills, my chattiness, my personality, my exuberance, all this stuff that had made me a terrible student's student were uh, – they just they loved me to bits in the workplace and uh, and rewarded my my writing ability and my speaking ability and all that stuff uh, and I found that you whereas in in getting a an education an undergraduate education in physics uh, you're getting a new topic introduced uh, you know every three to six uh, weeks or something like that um, and never quite grasping anything unless you're an Einstein I'm I'm among the smartest you know, probably tenth of a percent of the population, but I'm not an Einstein or a Stephen Hawking who would be among the smartest, you know, millionth of a percent mm. of the population or something. Um, mm. Unless you're like an Einstein, you never quite grasp any of the topics that they're giving you in undergraduate education. And I thought that's what being a physicist would be like. I found that in the real world, you can devote your life to just one topic and really become an expert in that topic and gain a very profound understanding of it. Sort of analogous for the for the listeners that have gone to Bible college uh, versus seminary or something like that. Um, a, a survey course uh, for Bible gives you a little introduction to everything, but then you could decide to become an expert on uh, just the comparison between the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation and, and devote 30 or 40 years to that one topic for the rest of your career or something. So, uh, so the two steps, we're seeing the right stuff. Believe it or not, a uh, silly Hollywood movie was life-changing for me in a good direction. Mm. And then um, mm -hmm. going out into the real world and finding out, oh, the real world is nothing like the classroom. I feel badly for the people mm. that excelled in the classroom only to find and get a degree, only to find that uh, they didn't love the real world, that it was not what they expected. Uh, my experience was just the opposite. And I've, I've had a charmed, uh, charmed career in the space program for 35 years and counting. Wow, that's, that is amazing, Erin. I, you know, I I listen to you talk, and I'm thinking somebody needs to make a movie out of this because, you know, what 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 we see now is like there's going there's coming a shift, and here you are, have been reckless in the world, and now all of a sudden, I, I, and and as you're talking, Erin, I keep I, in my mind, I keep picturing whoever it was that prayed over you at birth. You know, it's like someone. Right. I keep going back to that. You're carrying those prayers. Those prayers are on you. And you're reckless, but the prayers are keeping you safe. You know, you're doing crazy yep. things, but the prayers are keeping you safe. It's just like, it's just like this. There's this. There's this human 
that is getting ready to uh, uh, for the world to see, and and you're going to have such an incredible story that people are going to stand up and take notice, and we see that throughout the Bible. And so we're going to take a 30-second break, and when we get back, we're going to see. I want you, Erin, if you will, take us to um, a dark place in your life, a dark time, um, and I want you to, you know, we have a lot of people who are listening right now that are probably thinking, oh, my gosh, that sounds like that sounds like me. I, I have this I have this inner drive in me, and I don't know where it comes from. I don't know why should I be enjoying sin. Why should I not be feeling guilty or regretful or shameful, which is seems like from what you're saying, you, you were not attached to any of those emotions or feelings. But something happened, and that's what I want to talk about. About. And listeners, this is where I want you to lean in because you're getting ready to see a shift in, in a man's life like none other. So, Aaron, hang on, hang on, put on your seatbelt, <laughs> and we'll be right back, okay? <laughs> we'll be right Thank back you. in 30 seconds. Okay. Thank you. Hey, everyone, let's all stop what we're doing and take a moment. You see, every moment can be kind of special. But it can be loud moments, goofy moments, dorky moments. It doesn't matter. Because every time dads like us take a moment like that to spend with our kids, well, it's pretty momentous. So let's take a moment to make a moment. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Coffee. It is so wonderful to have you with us today. We have been busy talking with the incredible um, Aaron Schwartz-Bart, and I know that you're truly enjoying this, and I know you're leaning in, waiting for more. Before we get back to him, I'd like to just remind you that this is a ministry. My ministry is a ministry of org, and the nonprofit is Roses and Rainbows, which is a beautiful story of my mom and our life together and and really just how God brought a lot of hurt and pain into a way of of sharing his hope with the world. So if you'd like to know more about what we do, we're finishing up our tour across America on uh, the gift of friendship, God's friendship. So if you'd like to know more about what we're doing, I have three books that are soon to be released. So that'll take us up to about 12 books. So it's amazing what God is doing. So please stay tuned uh, and join us. Join us. We are we are stronger together. So uh, check it out, web, uh, kimcrable.org. All right, now let's get back to what's most important, and that is speaking with Aaron and his life. And we've heard about the first 30 years, Aaron, of your life, which, oh, by the way, thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time. No problem. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for the well, lives we... you may help us to save with the exposure you're giving uh, with your, to our ministry with your show. And that's what we're praying. You know, that's why we do what we do, right, is to really help others to understand that no matter where you are in life, what you've been through, what you've chosen or you haven't chosen, maybe what was just put upon you, what wherever you are, that there is, there's a shift that can happen. And that's what I want to talk about, um, Aaron, with you. It's like, okay, so here you were, you were in your career. All these things were going on. You had these, these different things um, in your mind that were probably battling each other, but yet you found were finding joy from unusual uh, events, that the reckless driving, the, all the different things that we just talked about. How, when did the shift start coming? Um, 
I was dating a girl, and uh, she was uh, she she claimed to be a Catholic. I didn't know what Catholicism was or Christianity was. I barely knew what Judaism was. Uh, like a lot of American Jews, we um, you know we cling to a certain a couple of traditions, but uh, we're more atheist than than Jewish uh, by faith. Um, uh, a lot of American Jews, like I was, the way I was raised, are more. Uh, you know, we kind of believe we're educated and civilized beyond uh, being believing ancient myths like the Tanakh or the Torah. Um, uh-huh. So, uh, you know, I was in this this chapter that we're discussing, and uh, uh, no, there was already part of a change. I, I forgot. It's it's interesting, and I'll try not to make it too complicated. But sometimes life is not simple because um, there are aspects that look pretty strongly like the work of God. Uh, there are aspects that look pretty strongly like the work of man. And then there are aspects that are a little bit in between the two and are a little bit murky and, and have, uh, 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 you know, interaction between man and God. And you're not quite sure which is which. Um, mm-hmm. I had already by this point, uh, uh, gotten a, a real race car, uh, after, you know, uh, 10 or 12 years of seriously, seriously acting out with, with street racing and, and being a danger and stuff. Um, I went to NASCAR. I got my NASCAR license. Um, I went through a big change in my uh, um, sort of my attitude about uh, driving fast in the street now that I was doing it legitimately at the track. Um, But I wouldn't call that a miracle, although it also seems like it's uh, uh, sort of – it was cooperative. I think it was cooperative with the work of the Holy Spirit that I ended up going to NASCAR, uh, getting a, a real race car, a real race license, and uh, uh, starting to change my attitude about uh, driving fast in the street, even though I wouldn't call it like a flagrant miracle, like the Red Sea parting or something like that. And I was not a mm-hmm. Christian yet. Um, so uh-huh. that was that was a bit of a turning point. And in the, but I was still a producer and a consumer of sordid pornography, and I was still driving fast and all that stuff uh, to some extent. I, I certainly wasn't a Christian at that point. And, uh, and I uh, uh, started dating this girl who said she was a Catholic. Uh, she was out sleeping with all kinds of different guys, uh, including me, um, and uh, getting drunk and stuff like that. Uh, but to my knowledge, that's, I guess that's what a Catholic was as far as I knew because she said she was. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, but she said that, uh, at some point she said she felt like Satan had sent me, uh, to, uh, distract her because she wasn't waking up for church on Sunday morning since she was out with me on Saturday nights, even though she was out <laughs> with other guys, other nights of the week and stuff. Uh, so, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know that she was really a faithful Catholic, uh, uh, by mm-hmm. any stretch, yeah. but what did I right. know at the time? So, right. um, she had said that she thought, Satan sent me to distract her from church, uh, from being a good Catholic girl or whatever. And uh, uh, at some point in the midst of my uh, legitimate racing career, while I was dating her, um, all of a sudden everything started turning to dust. Things that shouldn't have broken broke. Things that shouldn't have caught fire caught fire. It was like uh, lightning. If lightning strikes you once, uh, you know, you go, ow, if lightning strikes you twice in two days, you go, wow. And if lightning strikes you three times in three days, um, something's got to be up. That's just too statistically improbable, right, right for it not to be some kind of right. sign. So I started taking um, right or wrong as a relatively atheistic uh, rocket scientist. I started uh, 
taking the the incredibly improbable nature of everything going wrong as some kind of sign that something was happening. It 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 seemed to violate any anything that was. Uh, uh, you know, reasonable in terms of uh, probabilities. Uh, you roll the dice seven times, and it comes up with the same number every time for seven times. That 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 defies right. the odds, uh, right? Yeah. So, um, yes. I had friends who were Christians. I had nothing against Christians at the time. Um, I was, to the extent that I was an atheist, I was a real atheist. Um, the 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 people who claim to be atheists and are angry with a God that they claim to not believe in, uh, to my mind, they desperately want to be atheists, but they're not real atheists. Um, they're not mm. angry at uh, Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny or whatever. The real atheists are dispassionate about Santa Claus. They're dispassionate about the Easter Bunny, and they're dispassionate about God because they're, they're real atheists. Um, that's right. sort of the way I was. I had nothing against people of any faith. I believe they were all fairy tales. Um, so I was talking to some Christian friends as a relative atheist and saying, um, this seems like too much to be, uh, too much to be coincidence. Uh, do you think God could be punishing me? Um, uh, even though I was more or less of an atheist, uh, cause I was grasping for an explanation as to why everything was going wrong. And it was in the context of this Catholic girl saying, I think Satan sent you to keep me from going to church. Um, and they said, uh, God doesn't punish people. I, I don't agree with them now. I, I've read enough of the Bible to know that God chastens those whom he loves. Uh, you know, he punishes right. us as, as sons and daughters. But right, wrong, right. or indifferent, they said God doesn't punish people. And, of course, I wasn't one of his kids at the time. So it's theologically, it's even a, a, a bigger topic. Does God punish his enemies? Um, uh, you know, the Bible is full of right. God's judgment on, on his enemies. So uh, I was an enemy of God at the time. Um but anyhow, right, wrong, or different, they said God doesn't punish people. They said we think maybe somebody has said something. The way they put it was said something, and I think they meant like uh, had, had cursed me in some way. Um, but it uh-huh. was some kind of Christian-y slang that I, I didn't understand at the time. Um, mm. We think God has uh, – we think maybe somebody said something or something like that they said, and they asked if they could pray for me. And I said, sure, knock mm. yourself out. I said, it's, it's really sweet that you guys care. Uh, this isn't going to make me a Christian or anything like that. Of course, I'm not of your faith. Um, do you? Do you? Uh, you don't feel bad breaking a sweat on my behalf, you know, under those circumstances? And they said, No, it's fine. Um, and they said, It's not up to us to make you a Christian. By the way, our God is capable of getting your attention unmistakably should He choose to do so. And uh, wow. they prayed for me. They they prayed in English. They prayed in tongues. They they prayed for. Um, uh, they made like spiritual warfare, I guess, against, uh, you know, if anybody had like put a curse on me or something like that, uh, much of which I didn't understand at the time. And this is going back 30 years, of course. Um, right. But during the, the big turning point was during the time while they prayed, they prayed for five or 10 minutes. And during the five or 10 minutes while they were praying for this arrogant atheist rocket scientist, uh, electricity played up and down my back for about a minute and a half. Um, not wow. not sentiment or uh, emotion or a warm, squishy feeling or something like that, a, a physical manifestation of electricity, uh, an unmistakable physical manifestation of electricity, unmistakable to a scientist. And uh, that mm. was extremely attention-getting. And I asked them about it afterward. I said, you guys didn't, like, touch my back or something, did you? And they said, no, why do you ask? And I said, well, I felt uh, tingling, like electricity going up and down my back. And they said, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. That's That's a common occurrence. 
And I don't know which was more shocking to me as a relatively atheistic scientist, the manifestation of the electricity or the fact that they weren't uh, shocked, no pun, they weren't, they weren't jumping up and down and saying, hallelujah, we've never seen anything like this before. They, they were not phased by it. And uh, overnight, I, I stopped being an atheist. I didn't become a Christian. I was extremely skeptical. I had many questions, and I was not one to join a club or uh, get indoctrinated or park my brain at the door or something like that. Uh, but I stopped being an atheist literally that night. That was a sort of like a road to Damascus experience. Wow. Well, when did you accept Christ? Um, approximately two years worth of experiences like that one later, two I finally years. surrendered. Two years. <laughs> I was, I was, I was not going to be easily convinced. I, 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 good. I, uh, good for you. Right. Right. It's the, yeah. my faith is right, wrong, or indifferent. My faith is, is a faith uh, that is built on all kinds of difficult questions. And 30 years later, you know, eight years in, in one of the most academically rigorous seminaries in the country, um, you know, 25 or 30 years of ministry, 30 years of earnestly reading the word, and I still have unanswered questions. Um, if, if, we have, if we have the truth, we don't need to pretend to have more faith than we do. He can deal with the tough questions, and we, yes. he's certainly not the God of, of, of pretense, right? He's, he's got right. honesty, yeah. So, yeah, it took two years of every plane I got on during that time period, somebody sat next to me and talked to me about Jesus. And it it couldn't have been okay. It couldn't have been all coincidence, except once Uh when there was a huge hulking behemoth, big, huge, tall, uh, very spread out, (laughs) taking up both seats. I'm I'm kind of a little guy. I'm 5'8", big, hulking, uh, uh, orthodox uh, Jew-looking guy uh, sitting next to me. And uh, I'm kind of a white-knuckle flyer. I I love speed, but I don't love heights. And uh, there was a lot of turbulence. And he grabbed my Mm -hmm. hand and prayed in the name of Jesus. (laughs) This this big, hulking behemoth of an Orthodox Jewish-looking guy. It turned out it was Stuart Dowerman, who is one of the fathers of Messianic Judaism, um, you know, Jews Uh who believe in Jesus. And I didn't know him, of course. Uh, So Uh two years of experiences like that, and I finally surrendered to Christ. Oh my gosh, what an incredible story. Oh, I am I I wish we had all day cuz I'm writing question after question after question, but but we have to for the sake of our listeners get through this because you are getting ready and and listeners I already told you there's there's this shift and you see how it's happening. And I love the fact, Aaron, that you said, okay, they prayed for me, my life changed and went. I love the fact that you said, no, it took two years. And that's why I wanted to highlight that moment because it's okay to take your time to really know what you're doing. And I, I really love that. I feel like there are a lot of listeners that really needed to hear that. So thank you for that, uh, for that truth. Okay, so you get through. You've done so much in the last, since, since this began. So tell me now, you come to the realization of of Christ in your life. Kind of walk us through that in case there's someone out there who's needing to know how to meet Jesus today. If you'll just tell them how you did, and then let's get into, gosh, we're only going to have about 15 minutes, but but all this was great foundation. We had to know that to be able to really um, appreciate what you're getting ready to tell us. So there's this shift. So talk to us about the shift when you accepted Christ, how that happened, and then let's talk about leaving your occupation and doing what you're doing now. 
Um, so mm-hmm. let's go back to let's go back to the story where you're about to accept Christ. How did that actually happen? Um, I think, and this is there are murky memories over the course of that couple years of of you know having stopped being an atheist at the hands of Christians, but also being skeptical and and uh, questioning and and taking my time. Um, uh, the the some of the highlights were. Uh, my appetite for pornography disappeared uh, virtually overnight, not literally overnight, but virtually overnight. Um, with all due respect to all kinds of people that are doing good in the church um, uh, in terms of uh, accountability groups and self-help books and um, uh, every man's battle and this, that, and the other, uh, it doesn't necessarily happen that way. The God that uh, delivered the demoniac uh, in in the the, mm. the graveyard, uh, the God that parted the Red Sea, the God that knocked Saul on his butt off his horse, mm-hmm. um, he he still mm. works miraculously today. Um, I mm. uh, I was very passionate, unrepentant, proud uh, porn producer and consumer for many many years, and uh, he took that away virtually overnight thirty years ago. Um, I haven't. I have no accountability partner. I haven't stumbled not once in 30 years. Uh, I'm not bragging mm. about that. I'm just saying, uh, God does miracles today. Um, mm. uh, so that's not that's not critical to this story. But when you ask, uh, talk about that shift, that was that was a big part of it. Uh, that was attention getting for me. Um, sure. And I I recognize and respect uh, that there are people uh, for whom it doesn't work that way. And they need something more like a 12-step program or something like that. Um, right. Although I would also say that sometimes 12-step programs and, and accountability partners and all that stuff are used to get people to act like Christians, even though they aren't born again. Uh, an argument mm. could be made for uh, if your if your idea of discipleship is trying to make people who aren't born again act more like Christians. Uh, that's probably not true discipleship. If, if they're not born mm-hmm. again, they probably need to get saved, um, not just be, be you know, uh, assimilated into a Christian culture where you, you get them to act like they're Christians, even though they were never born again in the first place. So uh, a part of the shift with losing right. appetite for – sorry, go ahead, man. I, I know I was just going to say amen to that. I, I think that, that oh, yeah. you, you have to get that, you know, the Bible says you have to go to the innermost part of truth. You've got to turn yourself inside out. You can't just put band-aids on and put right Christian across someone's head and expect the difference. You have to have, uh, you know, that life-changing, heart-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. So for anyone who's out there who feels like that they haven't had that relationship change, if you haven't met Jesus, please contact us afterwards. We want to help you do that because all the Band-Aids and all the things that you can put on, all these different hurts and addictions and abuses, you're not. it's not going to be what you want it to be. And I, I can just tell you from, you know, I suffered with, uh, life debilitating um, eating disorders for years. And once I really came into a relationship with Jesus, it was like my focus on all that was my my focus shifted. I didn't have to focus on that. I focused on, on Jesus and what he was doing. So, you know, I, a big amen to that. And I felt like I just wanted to highlight that for our listeners. You know, if you're, if you're struggling with something and you just have people who just, you know, giving you all these different, things to do, you know, just, just in the quietness of your own heart, just ask yourself, have I made a decision for Jesus? 
you know, do I know that I know that I know? And I'll tell you a good time to ask yourself that question. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning when it's all dark and there's no, there's no distractions, you know. And if you don't, please reach out to us. We'd like to help you with that. So I'm sorry, Aaron. I just wanted to stop right there. So continue on, sir, yeah, if you will. No, no problem. So, um, uh, so that was a, a, a big turning point. Um, this this one is a little bit silly, but um, I'll, I'll, it's it's objective historical uh, fact that's relevant to the conversation. Uh, during that couple year seeking period, I didn't pray in the name of Jesus. I prayed to God, and even though mm. the 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 atheism had been knocked out of me literally overnight with uh, the electricity situation at the hands of Christians who prayed in the name of Jesus. Um, I wasn't sure. I, I, you know, I believed there was something out there, uh, but I wasn't sure what or who it was, and I didn't pray in the name of Jesus. And I did pray to God during that seeking period, and I saw all kinds of prayers answered left and right, um, you know, uh, pretty unmistakably. Um, but I didn't pray in the name of Jesus. And then I was on a flight um, uh, headed for, for uh, Hickory, North Carolina, to uh, uh, drive uh, Tommy Houston's Bush car, uh, Bush Grand National car. Um, and and uh, the, 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 the turbulence was just terrible. And I'm, like I said, I'm a white-knuckle flyer. I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not a thrill-seeker uh, at the basic adrenaline level where some people, they want anything that gets their adrenaline going, whether it's bungee jumping or race cars or whatever. Uh, that's not me. I'm, I'm wired for racing on the ground. I don't love heights. I don't love airplanes that feel like they're about to drop out of the sky. Um, yeah. Scared silly. And I was I was <laughs> praying to God to stop the turbulence, and the turbulence wasn't stopping. And finally, I was so scared and so desperate that I said the name of Jesus. And uh, this is not in any way an exaggeration. As soon as I said the name Jesus, the to- the, the plane went stone still, like uh, mm. like a hand grabbed the plane and stopped the turbulence or something. Not not 15 wow. seconds after, not one minute after, I said Jesus, and the turbulence stopped at the name of Jesus, and the turbulence did not return. It was a smooth flight for the rest of the flight. And I think that wow. was a major turning point for me in terms of going from being a, a seeking uh, guy who is open to the possibility of some kind of God uh, for two years to uh, then uh, surrendering uh, my life to Christ. And I, and I prayed, um. uh, you know, to, I committed my life to him uh, after that experience with the turbulence at the ne- stopping at the name of Jesus. Wow, what an incredible yeah. story! And, and friends, <laughs> I just want to—I want to say that your, my friends who are listening today, you know, whatever turbulence is going on in your life, the same principle applies. The same name at the name of Jesus, peace be still, and He can. He can he can stop any of the turbulence in your marriage and in your inner self. You know, we've talked about all these things that Aaron had on, had going on, on in his inner self. You know, at the name of Jesus, um, it, the turbulence can stop. So just uh, remember that, listeners. And I know that a lot are are, are hearing this, and they're hearing um, the true power of the word in the name of Jesus. Okay, so Aaron, we have about eight minutes left. So you you met Jesus. I mean, you you without a doubt, the shift came. Were you at that point still uh, in? Uh, a, a physicist? Were you still? What were you doing? Because you left a career after thir- almost thirty years, right? And tell us what yeah. happened. Yeah. So, uh, um, approximately uh, 
Let's see, 1985, I, I went to Rocketdyne to the space program. Rocketdyne is the biggest manufacturer of liquid rocket engines in, in the American space program for, I don't know, 60 or 70 years, uh, for your listeners that aren't uh, familiar. So uh, I, went, I graduated, I went there in 85, uh, I guess it was approximately 92 to 94 that I went on. I, I started seeking around 91 or 92 and committed my life to Christ in late, late 93. Um, so... Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, uh, I had a shift in the workplace where I became the Jesus freak in the workplace. That, that um, I, I, I actually talked to one of my friends who was a strong Christian. We went through college together. Um, she was kind of by my side uh, as a friend, uh, uh, you know, through all of my wild times with, with drunkenness, road rage, drunk driving, pornography, all that stuff. She never condoned anything I did. She never tried to be... Uh, popular with me regarding her faith, um, but she loved me unconditionally as a as a friend, uh, despite my uh, unrepentant sin. And um, uh, but I saw her in the workplace, and I got her a job at Rocketdyne after she after she graduated. I saw her in the workplace being a little bit tight-lipped about her faith when the president came through for a tour. Uh, president over ten thousand rocket scientists, so we 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 didn't have much access mm-hmm. to him. And I was I was astonished that uh, she would be quiet about her faith uh, just because the uh, the president was coming through. And I was an atheist at the time and a heathen at the time. And I remember telling her, "Boy, I can't believe you're you you believe you have this God that that holds the earth in the palm of His hand, and yet you're you're intimidated by the president to where you're not you're not talking about your God. If I ever believed what you believed, everybody would hear about it." <laughs> Wow. I said those words to her as a heathen. Yeah. So, wow. Um, not, unbeknownst that there was, you know, not knowing that there was a God that was listening to my saying those words. So right. I got saved uh, in the workplace. I almost overnight became the, the Jesus freak. Everybody knew in the workplace, you know, very evangelistic, uh, made <laughs> okay. some new friends, made some new enemies based thereon, uh, as you might right. imagine. Oh, and if I can throw one thing out, I know we're running out of time, yes. but this is so important, yeah. I think, for your listeners yes. to hear. Um, in... When I was, uh, you know, when I was this unrepentant heathen reveling in the, the, the road rage and the, the madness in the street and the, uh, the, the sordid, sordid pornography and that stuff, um, uh, there was a, a man uh, who was a Christian. He organized other Christians, including this woman that I was telling you about. He organized other Christians to pray specifically for me by name. Uh, they were like at lunchtime in a closed room praying for me to get born again. Uh, he wow. specifically picked like the most vile person that he could think of. He didn't want to see a small conversion. He wanted to see a miracle. And, uh, <laughs> and he, he, he wasn't witnessing to me. There was no psychological uh-huh. or sociological element to it or anything. They were praying for uh-huh. me behind closed doors, trusting uh, uh, the God that parted the Red Seas to, to do something. And that man left Rocket Nine without ever knowing that I got saved or became an evangelist or went to seminary or any of that, no, without knowing that his wow. prayers were answered. And we found each other wow. years later on, on Facebook or somewhere, and it was a glorious reunion, as you might, as you might imagine. Oh, but for your yeah. listeners, yeah, don't think that because you're praying behind closed doors and not doing some kind of psychological assimilation that nothing is happening in the heavenlies. And don't think that because you don't see it uh, today that, that it wasn't answered. Mm. Never but give I up. Never oh, ever. So, give right, up. right, right, right. Yeah. So, um, so, so at some point, uh, the it got more and more uncomfortable in the workplace uh, 
with my faith. For quite some time, I was making no kinds of compromises to be in the workplace. I was an out Jesus freak um, in the space program. And um, at some point, it got sort of more uncomfortable uh, for me, but I was still there. And uh, then uh, uh, my parents passed and uh, all of the three weeks apart. And uh, all of a sudden, I, I didn't really have to work anymore. Um, you know, we don't know whether how much of this is coincidence or how much is not coincidence. But either way, um, I was in a position where I didn't have to work anymore. You know, 28 years of having a paycheck and a secretary and all this stuff, I had no idea what yeah. I was getting into, but I believed it was of God. And he has confirmed it abundantly. Uh, we just celebrated 20 years of uh, driving fast and saving lives with Motor Gospel Ministries. Uh, we're like the darlings of the the, the government, the cops, Hollywood, uh, the media, all this stuff uh, without any compromise, without any unrighteous compromise whatsoever, and we're saving lives and we're saving souls. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Motor Gospel Ministries, non-religious benevolences, anti-street racing campaign. I mean, it is amazing what you are, what you're doing in your area, how you're bringing people to the Lord. You're, you're, you're just, you're, you're infectious in, in your love for the Lord. I want you to please come back so we can dive into everything that you're doing, Aaron. It is, you know, we have, we, we have three minutes. I want you to take two minutes of them, and I want you to tell them about how to reach the ministries that you're doing and what what they are. Um, People now know who you are. They know you're the real deal, and now they're going to want to go in. And so tell us in a minute or two about uh, what you're doing and um, how people can reach you. Great. So... um... The, the literal answer to how you can reach us is uh, motorgospel.org, M like Mary, O-T like Tom, O-R-G-O-S like Sam, P like Paul, E-L. That's motorgospel.org. That's our website. Um, I'm not on the website very much. It's sort of a placeholder. Uh, I'm uh, much more active on Facebook and uh, Instagram and LinkedIn. Uh, Aaron Schwartzbart, uh, the spelling is there on uh, – oh, uh, you're on radio, A-A-R-O-N, last name Schwartzbart, S-C-H-W-A-R, T like Tom, Z like Zebra, B like Bob, A-R, T like Tom, Aaron Schwartzbart. I'm on Facebook at Aaron Schwartzbart. I'm on Facebook at Motor Gospel Ministries. I'm on Facebook at Motor Gospel Youth Center. Um, I have uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, all that good stuff. If you Google Aaron Schwartzbart or Google Motor Gospel Ministries, uh, uh, thousands of things will come up. You'll find me. Uh, Call me or text me at my phone number, 818-620-7132. That's 818-620-7132. Or email me Mm -hmm. at motorgospel at gmail.com. Oh, Aaron, I will tell you what. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, unfortunately, we're about to be cut off here. I, I, people know how to reach you. I have. I'm going to be putting. Every, we have everything on Up to Me Radio. All the contacts, friends. He has a book coming out soon. There's so much I want you to know about him, about him. But I wanted you to know him first. My last question. My last question to you, um, Aaron, is that throughout our interview, throughout our interview, you have said so many times, I wouldn't call this a miracle. What would you, you've got 30 seconds, what would you call a miracle in your life? Uh, probably being delivered from porn 30 years ago without, uh, without even uh, uh, working on it, without even trying. Yeah. 
true miracles. Yeah. God can free us, release us, but once we get to know him, right? Oh, Aaron, thank you. Thank you. Promise me you'll come back so we can talk about all that you're doing now. Will you do that? <laughs> yes, ma'am. I look forward to it. Thank you so Let's much. Keep up it. the great work, sister. Well, thank you so much. And I'll be out in your area soon. We're going to talk. I want to come find out more. So uh, thank you again. And listeners, thank you so much for joining us right here. Thanks for stopping by for coffee. And, hey, there's more to come. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. To learn more about Kim's books, teaching materials, or to invite Kim to speak at your event, please visit kimcrable.org. Thank you for joining us today. And remember, to learn more, please visit kimcrable.org.